0: Are your customers the kind who politely come and go and sometimes leave you little hearts on social media? Or are they actually obsessed with what you do? The difference between an incredible brand and all the others is how they create fans. Welcome to the Brand to Fan Show, where we unpack the phenomenon of fandom and how to cultivate affinity, loyalty, and trust to build more fans so you can future-proof your business. Here's your host, Lauren Teague. Welcome back to the Brand to Fan Show. Today I'm joined by my good friend, Ryan Berman. The reason why I asked Ryan to join us today is because I've been wrestling around in our summer hiatus, um, catching up on some reading. And in the book, we average unbeautiful watchers. Dr. Noah Cohen, who, uh, spoiler alert, is on my guest list for the podcast at a future date, hopefully. Um, Dr. Noah Cohen, he's writing that sports fandom even more than religious, political, or your regional affiliation, determines how millions of us as Americans are actually defining ourselves. So I keep going back to that. I keep going back to thinking about how much sports fandom has shaped our culture and also makes us feel safe in how we assimilate into identities because it's safer to assimilate in groups based on sports and the teams that we like and share for, rather than the cultural identity of the communities we belong to. And at the highest levels, it feels fearful. It feels uncourageous. And so I had to turn to the guy that I know talks about courage and all that he does. He has a podcast, he has a consulting business, he's a keynote speaker. Uh, So Ryan Berman, welcome to the Brand Fan Show. We are gonna talk about what makes courage so important for brands and for fans today. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Thanks for having me. And I love the open. Thank you. And I'm like, you know what? Am I because I think being courageous, oh, this is me jumping right in. This is What's I, I, Yeah. I'm like, am I courageous? Because I've been stuck on the same sports teams my whole life. With the exception of one, which is I live in San Diego and I adopted the Padres, which I'm very happy to be a Padres fan. But outside of that, I'm also really, really loyal, a.k.a. stuck on all the teams I grew up rooting for. And it's funny, we always talk about when it comes to courage, are you stuck? Are you scared? Are you stale? Are you spinning? Or are you safe? Because any any one of those five is where I think you need to unlock with courage and we get brought in. But when it comes to sports teams, you're not going to knock me off my my main team that I'm passionate about. But that's maybe that's a whole other conversation for another time.
0: No, let's actually dive right into that. let tell me a little bit about those early days of fandom for you. What are the things that you remember early on being a fan of? Not just like, oh, we watch the game every night, but like those actually developed into something that carries you carry with you today.
1: Yeah. So when ever since I can remember, I was thrown into the back of a cherokee wagon the one that kind of looked like the griswolds you know a little bigger but i had that that side battle and i was in the way back this is before seat belts were needed and we were on our way to, to rfk stadium to watch what was once known as the redskins and uh, to me it was an amazing time not only were they were they actually winning a lot back then but it was a family event my dad drove My brother was in the car with us. My cousin was in the car with us. It became a ritual. And so there's like a blend of nostalgia. There's a ritualization of it. It didn't hurt that we're rooting for a winner. And I mean, I was there for the product on the field. My brother was there for the product off the field. Like he, he's like the Lego master. He was not interested in the game. He's like, I need to get to the shaved Ham sandwich as fast as possible. And so very different experiences happening at the same place. We were both fans of the experience, but one was rooting for the team on the field all the time and the other just couldn't wait for the food.
0: I love that. And with fun, because like you said, some people are going to the game for the experience, what's around, and some people are in for exactly what's happening in front of them because they see themselves wanting to be part of that, but the best part of sports, and then if you extrapolate that into the brand experience, right? Some people are there for the product and some people are there for the culture. Some people come for the, you know, because it aligns with their values, right? What? How do you see that play out in business when you're working with brands on like, and, and advising them on, you know, how to, how to kind of make sure they're not just focused on just the, the product on the field.
1: Yeah. To me, it's, you know, let's just, I'll change one small little word. So brand experience now, it's like, step back and look at this world we're living in. Right. And I think there's people feel stressed. They feel there's anxiety and escapism is real. Experiential is back. Right. Like we've been holed up from the pandemic for so long. And I think you've seen this. Like the entire country is basically in Europe on vacation this summer. Of have never been harder to get. So to me, I think the learning is still the same. It's, Hey, you know what? I want to. Help me escape in in an authentic way that's true to the values of the experience. So back then for the Redskins, now the commanders, it was, yeah, let me put my life on pause for three hours. Whatever presses that came with that, that we were going to go as a family and go experience this thing. And we we didn't feel like we were being sold to. It just felt like a communal experiment. I mean, if you asked me to make one bet on, if I were a brand, I would be figuring out fast my experiential and activation strategy. By the way, that sounds just for consumers and for your employees, right? So your employees are your fans, Mm -hmm. right? Are they good fans? Are they bad fans? They want to scream at the mountaintops at you. And so to me, it's all brand um, activation and experiential. And being really thoughtful on the way you want to unlock those bands and those different experiences.
0: Talk a little bit about that. We've we've been talking on the podcast. Uh, we kind of go into we're talking with people like Joe Mole on the podcast about how your internal employees are can be should be the people who champion you first. Right? They are the people that you know that are the front line to the customers to the people who are you're building. Fans with where do you think is a a big opportunity that gets overlooked and and who's in who's in charge of that? Does that come from the CEO? Does that come from HR having to say it? Is it the sales leader? Like who in the organization is actually influencing the culture more than who we who we might think?
1: Well, to me, it's definitely leadership, and I have to blanket. Okay, now sometimes let's call it what it is. There are bosses who are not leaders and there are leaders who are not bosses, right? So it can start from either, either or direction. But I think the idea of, if you don't realize how important it is to unlock your own fans, your own internal audience first, you're going to have a hard time over a long period of time while unlocking everybody else. I don't know what your audience knows about my, my background, but like I'll just do one minute on it. Like I. I came from agency. I came from being a creative at an ad agency. And then, you know, you work your way up and you end up starting your own stone, starting your own few agencies. And I got to the point where I started to get really frustrated where the phone call would come into me and a marketer, usually a marketer was, and there was a fear-based marketer. who was like, Hey, we have this new, we have sliced bread that we want to tell the world about. Can you tell the world that we're sliced bread? Okay, you're sliced bread. Why are you sliced bread? Well, we are, we are, I'll send, look at the NDA sign, but we'll let you know, okay, at what cost? This is the, this is our budget. Okay, well, how did you get to that budget? Well, because the other four agencies said that they could do it for this. All right, so you want me to tell the world your sliced bread at this cost? Can I come interview the culture? What do you mean? Can I come interview your people on the inside? And they're like, dude, can you help me get a win, please? Like I need, I, I need to look good. And I want to tell the world that this is who we are. And I realized like, oh my goodness, all these companies are creating narratives and they're telling the outside world. something I that's inauthentic to the inside. Now there are many, plenty of words to go around. And I think the idea now is, I wondered if you could work harder on one narrative that starts at the leader's mouths and it's a perfect alignment with what you tell the outside world.
0: <laughs> is, is,
1: is this an absurd idea? It shouldn't be.
0: It shouldn't be. Let's just go there, right? It shouldn't so, be.
1: So, you know, look, five years ago, I basically fired myself from running my last agency because I was more committed to solving this problem and helping leaders come up with the narrative that's going to inspire their staff where they actually want to be there. And then whatever that magic is, is the exact same thing you take to the outside world. So it's more inside out thinking. Mm-hmm. for the brand and i think it just starts by a courageous leader saying this seems odd we're telling the world this but our employees don't feel this way how do we get it more in alignment
0: yeah and you're seeing some of that reckoning too uh exactly what you're talking about of you know at the narrative that we've told ourselves internally or the narrative that we have shared externally doesn't actually match up with what's here And and what reminds me because you've talked about it already is the Washington, then Redskins, then football team, then commanders, right? They, that organization from the top up resisted a name change when culturally, like, it became an appropriate time to change that. Is that, you know, what's kind of behind that fear? And, and now, you know, these things have come out into the the public light mm-hmm. that, oh, it's actually not a great organization for, for some reasons and, and someone's had to turn that around. And that happens across business all the time. It happens across sports, all the time. So, how do you change that culture from fear to to finding courageous leaders?
1: Well, first of all, let's let's kind of—if I was wearing a cap right now, I would tip it because I'm, I'm really excited as a as a Washington sports fan. You know, I'm—I mean, I, I think we're all excited about the change that happened there. By the way, this is a great example. If it wasn't for social media, if it wasn't for the media, like. There's, there's no way this change would have been made. And I'm not talking about a name change. I'm talking about an owner, an ownership change. And it's sort of a testament to say, sometimes people have very clear values that inspire people. And sometimes people have values that don't inspire people. And what we're seeing from the Josh Harris group already, I don't know if you know this, we call it the the Harris Ownership Group because it stands for hog. Mm-hmm. Mexicans, we have bogs, that was our thing. I think you're seeing a, a a leadership group that's much more transparent, that's not making it about themselves. I don't, if I'm a leader of a company, the minute you make it about yourself and you're not serving the the customers, and the customers might be your employees first. That's where you get yourself into trouble. If you make it a me first thing, Right, and I think a lot of the moves that it sure seemed that the commanders made in years past were more about, hey, this seems like Dan Snyder is involved in places maybe he shouldn't be involved in. Like the amount of like little lore stories we heard about, Mm -hmm. well, actually, he's the one that came in and drafted that player. Okay, well, you know everything I learned about leadership is like surround yourself with that talent, do it your best, pay for the rest, right, and. So again, I'm excited about where they're going for the future. It's been the first time in 25 years that I can say that. So we'll see where it goes.
0: It makes a huge, huge difference for you as a fan, right? Like to go back to you know that stuck, scared, stale, spinning safe, right? You probably didn't choose safe for those 25 years of yet. You can't unhook yourself away from that. Correct. What what connections hooked you in so hard that you? you can't walk away from that. And this is like actually a, I'm asking for a friend because I'm having kind of the same battle right now with my relationship with Twitter.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of this early isn't so conscious, right? Right. But you go because that's what you do. You love it because your dad loves it, right? And the more you study human behavior, the more you do. I kept coming back to Values actually matter. Like, how valuable are your values? And if your if your values are in violation constantly, it, it's tough to stick around. And but I couldn't quit the nostalgia side. It was something that brought our family together. In some ways, there was shared misery, <laughs> right? And at least that was that still built the community, right? And I think anything that's shared—it's so funny that we're having this chat. One of the pieces of writing I'm working on right now is this this concept of villain verification and that, hey, you know, if you're having a hard time clarifying your purpose, start by verifying your villain. And this is like Storytelling 101, good versus evil, this is Star Wars, Joseph Campbell, right? If I'm at a business, have you decided or declared who your villain is? Method soap is like, the king of this, Eric Ryan, their, their line for Method Soap. And by the way, they, when, when, when Method launched, they were looking at other soaps. It's like, how could this be good for you, this 14-syllable word on the back of the label? If, if, this, if the soap is that clean, do I, why would I need to wear rubber clubs to clean my house? So they went to work on making a cleaner soap. And the shared enemy at Method is the people against dirty. Are you for dirty or against dirty? Mm-hmm. Or so are you for dirty or against dirty? Are right? you asking
0: me? I'm well, I've, I might have a whole house full of Method and Dr. Bronner's, so I'm definitely outside of it, right?
1: So I, I think there is a shared enemy, and there's clarity of that enemy that the entire company can rally around. They verified their villain that, you know, they're fighting dirty. And they found a way to make soap cool, by the way. And so I think for us, growing up, I think, you know, who the shared enemy was, it wasn't losing. It was losing off the field that became even bigger than losing on the field. It was cutting corners, you know, when the, the Eagles game, I don't know if you remember this, basically part of after the game, like part of the dance fell, what are we a professional football team or something else? And it just felt like we were losing in all the wrong ways. And you really, what it was, if you take a step back, cause you felt Your values were violated. That that's not what I stand for. And so it's a combination of like knowing who you are and then sharing that with your communal group and then taking that out in the world. What are you gonna try to take down together? You're listening to Brand to Fan with Lauren Teague. More after this.
0: Getting video from your phone into socials just isn't as easy as we'd like it to be. That's why I've started to use pictory.ai. It's a powerful AI technology that allows you to create and edit and brand and share incredible videos that start either with the text of a copy that you have or video from your phone or out of Zoom. I use Pictory.ai to create all of the shareable social media videos for the brand fan show. I totally recommend that you try it out and I've got a special link for you to do so. Go to lauren.click slash Video and create your first shareable video on pictory.ai. That link is lauren.click slash make a video.
1: Now back to brand to fan.
0: You know, as I'm thinking about, and I, I name dropped Twitter and we've been talking about this on the podcast. It kind of, It's kind of one of those brands that keeps coming up because as we've been doing the podcast, um, the ownership at Twitter has continued to do things that, and, and for me, I think it's affecting like, if this was a local business, this was a business in my community. I would not be spending my money there and I would not be spending my time there and I would not be recommending it. Yet I have a relationship that goes so much back so much further and has meant so much to me personally and through my career with our, with the little blue bird that apparently no longer exists that it's like, what is that shared purpose with those people? And can we find another playground, right? And And I think that every time something changes for the worst, as a fan, if you can't find a suitable replacement for that time, energy, and the camaraderie, the community, the shared vision and values, then you almost are rather, like, you would rather stick with the ugly, because you know it, than move forward. And it's, you know, this part of fandom, I really am going to try to unpack more of in this on um, these coming episodes, because like what it takes to fall out of fandom is actually both like quite easy and very hard.
1: Well, I think it's just an alternative. Like I, in the DC area, many were like, you know what? We're Raven fans. This is it. We're out. <laughs> My, the, the, it was an alternative that you can jump on board, not feel bad about yourself. Like if people are like, I'm an Eagles fan. I'd be like, well, how can you do that in the division? There's there's too many barriers in my opinion, but hey, forty minutes away, another in another league, you know, in another conference, you could pick up a team and be a fan. Look, I think if there was a a viable replacement for Twitter already, you probably would have to your point already leaked. I always want to say, look, if you don't know what you stand for, you never know when to take a stand. And there's obviously some. and Look, I do too. I still post every once in a while on Twitter. I like going to Twitter. I was up at midnight the other night watching the Women's World Cup game.
0: Right, and that's and was, where you want to go. That's where your people are, or I, I, used to be.
1: Well, I was very curious of what was being said over there, right? So it, it it is still a habit that has to be unwound if I'm going to really leap off that platform. But something else that has to pop up. I'll give you an example on the other side of, I don't know if you've seen the new Bud Lightwork Have you seen Mm -hmm. any of the new Bud Light? Yeah,
0: of course. Yeah.
1: The easy, easy, right? So to me, I'm like, yes, this feels like, this feels like Bud Light to me. Keep it light. This is easy. This feels more in line with the Bud Light than I thought I knew. And I'm not saying I know what's right for Bud Light and what's not right. Is Bud Light going to win back the fans that they already lost? What do you think?
0: You know, that's a, that's a really good question. I think there's probably that core piece that, that won't go back because they, they broken the, in their minds, the brand has broken trust. And then I think there's a whole lot of bandwagon, uh, like in the middle, it's kind of the pendulum swinging back to normal. Oh, I can, okay. We had a little, we had a little dip down to this side and the pendulum swinging back. And now I'm not embarrassed to have, you know, a Bud Light in my hand if that was their approach before and i think someone who swung on the other side of the pendulum that really did identify with bud light because of some earlier work and relationships that they had right then maybe you're like okay well we probably live somewhere in the middle over here too and -hmm. it's not going to be but i i don't know i what do you think
1: i think that they're going to run this work during the nfl all season long and there are a lot of fans i don't think they consciously say this they're not like Deconstructing the commercials, but yes, like I don't want heavy right now. Everything else around me is heavy. Keep it light with me, please. Mm -hmm. And again, we don't consumers don't really do that. That's how we feel. And so I think it will work in bringing back some of the audience. And I think, I think Travis Kelsey is in one of the ads. I should be getting that wrong, but like, they're going to borrow equity from players. Okay. That makes sense. So, I don't think I don't think it's gonna be, oh, we have everybody back, but at least they have like point of view moving forward and like keeping it light in the world. And when you're called Bud Light, maybe that's a, the right place for you to play as a brand,
0: right, Yeah. Maybe you're just you know seeking that out and and finding something that resonates kind of across and doesn't become a, you know, like we get, went back to the very beginning, right? what's let's, let's rally around our sport? And the NFL season, rather than anything that could be deemed political. Yeah, yeah. So I
1: think we're over political. I think I think a lot of us want to not like, if possible, to this not be political. Does political have fans anymore?
0: I mean, one side sure does. One side sure does. I don't know. I, I I debate that, or I watch the debate happen every week in my local politics group, right on Facebook. So it feels like, sure, feels like it, but it's uh, you know, I'm a fan of. You know our country moving forward in a direction that, like, is more equitable for everybody. So I, whatever I that makes me do, right? Like, you know, I I don't. Whoever's going to get us there, but, anyways, that's not the point of this podcast. But yeah,
1: <laughs> well, I again, I'll be courageous, I guess, in saying, yep. look, like, I think, I think both sides feel are obviously feel like they're fans. If I ever got into politics, I would have launched. Cause I, I, mean, look, I'm not ex- clearly that extreme on the right. And I don't feel like I'm extreme, extreme on the left. I'm extreme about being in the middle. Like I would launch center wing, I'm not left wing. I'm not right wing. I, I do believe like there's opportunity there for the taking for everybody. I also like that if I've made money that I should be able to protect it. And so I, I feel like I'm on both sides of this and I, I don't know if you do polls, but it would be cool to do a poll to be like, Hey. Hey, America, like, where are you really on this thing? I don't want to get that political on this, but I'm a fan about being sort of an extreme in the middle. Like center wing is my thing. I'm very liberal, but I'm also fiscally conservative. Yeah. Where's the new party that helps Mm -hmm. me do that?
0: Right. I know. I think we're, I think we're past, you know, I mean, past the two party system, because even though there's so much nuance, like you're saying, that there's just not any political appetite from the um from the people in power to to resist to release that at all, uh, which is too bad. So, let's talk a little bit about. Um, you wrote not long ago about the difference between bravery or being brave and being courageous, mm-hmm. and I really like the metaphor that you used there. Can you talk a little bit, share a little bit about that work, um, and just kind of your point of view there? Like, what is the difference between being brave? And having courage,
1: uh, so I believe that they're very close in in, in terms of like both are moments where or, or action is being taken. You know I always say, let's take a step back and and try to define courage as it needs to be the following three levers. There's got to be knowledge. There has to be faith, and there has to be action. Um, you're never going to have every bit of knowledge you need to make a call, which is why you need faith. And when we talk about faith, we don't mean it in the religious sense. We mean yeah. it in the inner belief experience, intuition sense. Now, how often have you known exactly the right move to make and you felt it was the right move and then you never ever do anything about it, which is why I honestly Lauren, I like totally commend you for your leap into this new world of fandom because it's a great example of like, I know you've known it for a while. And you felt it. And then you're like, finally, you're going for it. Right? Right. Now two or three in any direction is not courageous. So knowledge and faith without action is paralysis. Right. Okay. Let's, let's make a move here. You can't just have the intention of doing something. You actually have to do it. And faith and action without knowledge is a reckless move. So you should probably like have a little bit of knowledge mm-hmm. and data before you leap. Finally, knowledge and action without faith. If you're numb on the inside. You're probably working on status quo and a lot of people, I think in a lot of jobs to stay for a long time and feel numb, that status quo job, that safe job, again, it's just not going to get you to courage. Maybe you don't want courage. That courage isn't for everybody. So that's fine too. So knowledge plus faith plus action equals courage. Now, bravery to me feels like a moment. It feels like it happens in a moment maybe it's not so intentional. It's more of an impulse. And you take advantage of that moment or somebody needs you in a moment. It might not be as thought out. It might be more on intuition takes over. Um, You know, I feel like when people think of like Hollywood or like there's a burning building and a man, you know, somebody went in there and saved the day. To me, that is a moment of bravery. So if bravery is a moment, to me, courage is a marathon. If bravery is more on an impulse, courage, courage is more of an intentional, right? You have that knowledge piece. And even though you're afraid and you're, you're, you're intentional, you're conscious of that thing you're afraid of, you still power through that fear, even when it's messy and you need to be gritty and you go through with it anyway. So to me, bravery is the impulse. Courageous is the intentional. Bravery is that moment. And courageous is that marathon.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's so fascinating as I'm thinking, you know, both with an entrepreneurial hat on and then with a marketing leader hat on, which is who this podcast is for, knowing that, you know, brand leaders who are able to step up and lead with courage um, and set that vision, right, that is. But, and maybe this is the question for you is, you know, do you have to have the courage in place to empower a brave moment? Maybe it's your employee, maybe it's your leader, maybe it's just your brand showing up, right? Do you have to have the courageous piece or do do other people's kind of bravery tip the scale into, you know what? We actually are missing this piece. Have you seen that happen?
1: All the time. Good. And and, and it's not, I don't think it's for, like, I think it's really hard to be in business right now. Like everyone's moving at this ridiculously fast pace and there's probably certain places where if I had my way, we would be go a lot slower in certain places and faster in others. I mean, if you're in the, the marketing business then it's about clarity, right? It's about conviction. It's about costs. And if you get all those right, you have a, a chance at, at change. then there's no change without courage. You you kind of need it in the messy middle. So if I'm a marketer, have you clearly created the guardrails, the rules that your team can play by? It used to be a lot easier when there was like, everyone's in an office and you had that natural communication with people. Now it's like you're in the office for two days a week or your team is all over the world. Even more of a reason to set what the guardrails are I mean, this is why I feel so strongly about values or principles. How valuable are the values? If the values are real and you're operationalizing the values and you're rewarding your team off those values, or maybe there's a higher purpose statement that that's the, that is the filter for decision-making. Go back to the method example, the people against dirty. I fight dirty. Hey, if you spend money of our budget to truly take down dirty, how can I like fault you for that? I'm going to commend that behavior, even if it was a mistake. Okay. And so, and now back to Bud Light, I would have loved to have been behind the curtain to know what the values were. I don't know what the values were. I, you know, I have an idea from out here in the in the universe what I think the values could be, but I don't know what the, the rules are, the values are. And so again, I, my sense is, When you have clarity of those pillars of what we say is important, if people act off of those pillars and they're in alignment with those pillars, it certainly makes it easier to take advantage of moments where you can be more brave with your work or or activations. And if you don't have those, it's a guessing game for people. And that is the goal of leadership. If you're a marketer that is listening to the show, you're not just a marketer, you're a marketing leader, right? And your job is to set the groundwork for your team to top to my success and know, am I supposed to turn left here? Am I supposed to go right here?
0: And it's true. Just like you said, you don't know, like without being behind the curtain, none of us really know where Bud Light stands right now. And I think it then it becomes very hard to be a fan of a brand when you don't, you can't decipher, you know, what those what a brand does stand for. And so it, it creates that confusion rather than clarity, which means your fans don't have the right stories, can't tell a complete story about their experience. They're telling either an incomplete, or so maybe an inaccurate story or no story at all. And those stories are actually the invitations that bring somebody else into the brand, right? Like you and I just talking about Washington football and the Commanders, you know, now, like if I see a game, I, you know, if it comes up on the TV, I might spend an extra five minutes. I might like look at the stats. I might draft a player on my fantasy team only because we had a conversation and you tell me that you had a a 25 year love affair with the Washington now commander is like, okay, well, maybe that's an invitation for me to pay this much more attention. So,
1: well, I also think the story points forward and, and in your 23 or 22, if I would have come on your podcast. Maybe I'm not saying such nice things because I'm still in the land of misery. Yeah. Now, because I'm like, Hey, there's hope. The story has shifted to hope and we're like, Hey, we're, we're excited about this new start and let's see where this thing goes. There's a lot of good energy for us. Sad Washington fans because we're excited about what's possible. And by the way, they now have permission. It could take a decade and we're like, yeah, you go we're like, we're going yep. sip- to we support you. We're going to watch. Here's one thing I'm curious to get your take on. And I think we should start a sports and then go to business on this. <laughs> what about so de- identity? Sorry. What about identity? Like yeah. when you think about certain teams, the Steelers, when they, the way the Steelers play football, there's an identity that you can rely on from them. Like they're going to be a hard nosed team. They want to run the ball. That identity is sort of mm-hmm. who they are. And because that identity stays consistent, there lies your fans. How do you feel when a sports team changes their identity? And all they're like, wait, I've, like like if, if the Steelers went to five wide receivers and like aired it out, wouldn't that be slightly awkward?
0: <laughs> you know, it's kind of it's an interesting point because identity comes with legacy and history, but also it's also shaped by, you know, if you get a different coach in there and that's the style right so then mm-hmm. are you if you're if you're tied to the legacy or like quote unquote the identity of the team are you not considering a whole set of leaders who might be able to come in and shake up because of that and so that's like a, from the very top level right are you open to the identity evolving none of us are the same you know even you and I are not the same after the podcast as we were before the podcast right the mm-hmm. interaction the conversation the what I'm taking from you and and you're taking from me changes us in the moment, right? So I think that's really interesting. You know, I just wrote a story for my keynote um, and I've I've called it to myself, the PGA Tour player who will not be named. And it talks about an interaction that I had um, and it mirrors against other interactions I had with other PGA Tour players when I was the social media manager there at the PGA Tour. Um, and it now that I'm both several years away from being in that role and also i've watched this particular player who will not be named Mm -hmm. what what they have done in their career and and how some of those narratives or some of that identity that that his fans held on to has maybe changed shape or you know different things have come to light i'm like oh okay like i actually feel better telling that story Now, in a way that's fun and funny, and less—it's—it's not so like painful to me anymore because now people can see maybe something that that they didn't see before. Um, and that person's identity has changed over time. But then you look at some of our favorite, um, our favorite brands, and can, you know, I not to go back to Elon Musk all the time, but I think the brand of Tesla has changed from where it first started, which was very exclusive to a little bit more accessible to then electric cars are for everyone now does anyone really want to buy a tesla right like ensure there's still a fans of that brand and there are people who don't want to support there's there's other ev options so i don't have to go buy that one right Ooh. so and i think that so brand identity continues to change and i think that's just you know but then you'll get pepsi and coke do their brand identities change when leadership comes in
1: i mean that's a hard one,
0: right? right? Those are legacy brands, right? What has their identity, their recipe has changed, but the identity and what they've done from a marketing and an advertising side, Nike, you know, these legacy ones, do they really
1: ever change? Change. Well, I think if we're for many, it's about you know being consistent with your identity and constantly coming back to what that is, right? Repeaters make believers. But as the world changes, right, are the, are the brands changing at the pace of which the next generation is changing? So for example, this is not a Coke or Pepsi thing, right? But okay, would you be surprised a hundred years from now, if the Pepsi brand or the Coke brand, not, not what they can buy with their money because they can buy purpose-driven brands. Do you think Coke and Pepsi are going to be what they were a hundred years from
0: no, I mean no, because culture changes, right?
1: Right, but our, but if, so if they're not changing, and they're consistent, right? Pepsi is about joy, and Coca Cola is about happiness, similar but different, right? In moderation. If the world is like, hey, like I can tell you already, our, and I look, I'm a California family now. Like my wife's not buying Coca Cola anytime soon. She's not buying mm-hmm. Pepsi anytime soon. She might buy. A brand that Coke or Pepsi have acquired, right? And tried not to mess with. But like, I feel like that's the way the world is going. Is there is change, and I, again, it's like, all right, what are you a fan of? But what are my kids going to be a fan of? Other my kids would be fans. They they can't wait to ask for a Coke. At oh dinner. man,
0: yeah, but, my ten year old is like every day. Can I have a Sprite? Right? Can I have a Sprite? He's moved on from root beer, right? And then my youngest one is like. Orders a lemonade and drinks like uh, three cents, whatever. But yeah, like it's you know that that is a, a good point of as culture moves on and and things like the things that we do. Right, I was explaining to my kids, are asking about why people smoke. Why is that person? Did you know that person smokes? Like where that was like it's such a shocking like thing for them. And I'm like, do you know that when I grew up, like lots of people smoked. Uh, and then when you when your Karen parents were growing up, everybody smoked, and it was just a thing. And then we learned that how bad it was for us. And this is a we've moved away from that as a society at least in our in our culture here in america so.
1: what do you think is the is the current cigarette that nobody has called out yet like 50 years from now 100 years from now the surgeon war- general warning is on what
0: well not it it's either going to be social media or sugar because we like people have started to ring the bells on that but it's not wholly accepted as truth so it's either going to be yeah, and that's what I would think. Social media were I mean, just high fructose, corn syrup, like crop sugar.
1: Pretty much the same thing, right? Yeah. Ones for your eyes and ones for, you know, you can send through your mouth.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're listening to Brand to Fan with Lauren Teague. More after this.
0: As you're out in the world listening to the Brand to Fan show, look up and start to count the number of team hats, t-shirts, pullovers, and jerseys you see. Once you start to see them, Sports logos and team colors are seemingly everywhere. Well, this is exactly why I decided to build FanWagon, the web's re-commerce marketplace for buying, discovering, and reselling your sports fanware, be it vintage or just last season's jersey. FanWagon aims to serve both buyers and sellers at the intersection of sustainability and fandom and create a personalized and easy experience for second fan fashion. I'd love for you to go check it out today at fanwagn.com. That's fanwagon.com. I'll see you there.
1: Now back to brand to fan. Here's Lauren Teague.
0: Well, Brian, let me ask you the last couple of questions. Um, although I'm happy to stay as long as you want and, and chat with you. I uh, I just adore you. Um, But as you know, as a listener of the Branded Fan Show, we ask uh, a couple questions to wrap up the show. Um, The first one is, as we were just talking about this, what are you personally a fan of right now?
1: I mean, in the spirit of staying consistent with his identity, I I am absolutely a fan of Josh Harris, who just took over control from Dan Snyder of the commanders. Although I'm wondering how long he's going to keep the name. Um, the reason I am a fan of, of his, it's just, it's a nice segue on the name. There was an article that came out maybe a month ago now after he had bought the team. And of course, one of the very first questions I asked him was, are you going to keep the name? And he basically said, you know what, it, we're going to listen to the city and that's not our first priority, but like, we're going to listen to the city and we're going to go from there. And like, that was the ultimate tell, right? The okay. ultimate tell, like, he's like, it's not about me. Like there's clarity and priority in, in who he's serving. He's going to serve the city. And he said, we're going to do the work and we're going to build the culture. He didn't say we're going to win tomorrow. He just yeah. said, we're, we're going to cut, we're not going to cut quarters. We're going to listen. So I'm a, I'm a big fan because I feel like He's not making it about him. He's going to do it the right way and and make sure that the city is bigger. And he's from there. So he has, I'd say, you might as well have thrown him in the back of the car with me in the Jeep, you know, on the way to the games because I know he felt what I felt growing up. And I think that's why a lot of us are excited. It's almost like priorities are right. And hopefully good things will come of it because of it. Yeah,
0: that's really, real cool. And of course, yeah, on brand for the pod in our conversation today, I would not really expect anything else, but um, yeah, like you, not that I have the same emotional connection to your team, but from a sports and hoping for the best for teams and the cultures of the people that work in sports. I have a lot of empathy for people who work in sports and around that, Um, you know, uh, having better ownership and better leadership from the top down helps not just the organization, but the communities that they're involved in. The, the charities that they partner with, like all the way down. So like you, um really interested to see how that shakes out.
1: I mean, side, slide sidebar on this. Like, I almost feel like we need to rebrand the word leadership,
0: to ownership.
1: <laughs> Can we rebrand the word leadership to ownership and turn ownership into chairman or chairwoman? Mm-hmm. Because I think this is, this is also the way it's like accountability. You have you you own this. I'm giving you permission to own this. Be entrepreneurial, and own it. I think in leadership, better things will happen the minute that people feel like they can make the call. Uh, and so, I don't know, a little sidebar, but it would be interesting to to rebrand those words.
0: It would be. I like that. Well, I think I'm due on your podcast here shortly, so maybe that's uh, that's something we can tackle. All right, deal. Time. All right. Uh, uh, last question um, that we ask everybody here on the Brand of Fan show is Ryan Berman, what is your favorite jersey or piece of fanware that's either in your closet today or you wish it still was?
1: So I have a 2003 Landon Donovan signed jersey, and like this jersey, it's long sleeved. If it was raining out, you would you would not be very fast. Like, it's amazing how far swag jerseys have come because it's like, wow, Like you played in this? And <laughs> uh, and I, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but you know, Landon is in town and, and um, one of the cooler side projects that I've been able to work on the last couple of years has been writing Landon's memoir and we're getting it ready for the World Cup when it comes here to America in 2026. And, you know, what I thought I knew about Landon, I'll be the first to admit that I know exactly where I was when he scored the Algeria goal. I was by myself running around in a hotel room like a crazy person by myself. And, and to now have a real relationship with him and to like learn his story, which is not your atypical story. Um, I'm, I'm proud to have that jersey. I'm very honored to be able to help tell his story.
0: That's cool. It's so cool. And yeah, right there, you just took me back to. I was in the Atlanta airport. I was next to my gate, but watching on the bar screens, right? With pretty much everybody else in the concourse, right? Gathered around TVs, just kind of every, every 500 feet or so. Uh, and I'm sure my flight was boarding and I definitely did not care. I think I was gonna be on, you know, the last person on that flight. And I just remembered the roar across the concourse when that ball went in from the corner. It was insane.
1: And I, again, cliffhanger moment. I don't mean to be that guy, but it would be that guy. Like to hear Landon tell the story, not of him scoring the goal, but like who just happened to be in the locker room and then even the magnitude or their inability to like, I mean, they were halfway around the world at this moment. Yeah. We felt it, but it wasn't until the next day that they realized that the goal really landed in America. They, mm. they had no idea. It wasn't like you have social media like you do today and you mm. would know instantly. No. Compl- it was like, hey, Landon, come look at this. And there was a string of bars on one video. And it was like, hey, by the way, this is what America needs again to something like this. And it was like, it wasn't about red or blue or what you it was like, red, white, and blue. Like everyone was in and you just saw love. And it might have been the last time the United States has been united. Let's call it what it is. And, and it was cool to like, they're like, wow, this is really like landing back home. So very cool moment. And, and again, I'm. we've got a long way to go, but we're going to, we'll be ready for the 2026
0: World Cup. Oh, I love that. Well, I cannot wait for, uh, to learn more about that and to learn more about and stories and, and of course your interpretation of, of some of those and how they're affecting you. Right. Cause that, that absolutely changes, uh, your view on not just him as a player or a person, but the whole organization and the whole sport and, and all that. So I'm excited to maybe unpack that over a, a drink or two down the right oh. line, maybe while we're watching the Washington football game. Who knows?
1: Right. Wow. I'm going to hold you to that.
0: Okay. Sounds good. Ryan, we have reached the point of the show, which I call the TLDL, too long, didn't listen moment. So if you are waiting for the TLDL moment, uh, just stop right here. This is the part that if the rest of the podcast was a little too long and you fast forward your way through. Here's where I get to summarize what Ryan and I talked about today on The Brand Fan Show. Ryan, you talked about courage and your recipe for courage, that courage requires knowledge, faith, and action, but you actually have to have all three, not one, not two, all three, in order to move forward in a true courageous fashion. And you also mentioned that bravery is a moment in time. It's more of an impulse that's driven by intuition and instinct. And we started the show, you you kind of glossed over this, but you described kind of these different states of courage as stuck, scared, stale, spinning, and safe. And that's kind of where someone can kind of figure out where they're landing in that, which set up the whole rest of the episode so well. Um, I loved how you went back and re- told us a little bit of your past life in agency. And when you had that realization that, you know, brands are sometimes creating these narratives. That are inauthentic even though that doesn't actually make good sense in any other part of the world except for business that they can go out with something that is completely untrue but it also allows us to demonstrate some of the power of social media and crowdsourcing communications because when the values don't inspire uh there will be a groundswell and it will arise and it sometimes forces the hands of change and so you mentioned how valuable are your values well, quite valuable because a customer has to identify a brand's values so that they can tell more complete and compelling stories and feel more connected to that brand. Um, The last thing I want to hit on is that you mentioned that experiential is back because the world at a whole feels heavy. It feels hard. Um, And so escapism is real. Um, Your fans are asking you to help me escape in an authentic way um, and so as a business leader, we have to be th- thoughtful about how we unlock those escapism pieces for our fans, both externally, who's who's literally transacting with us, but also internally who are here with loyalty and with advocacy. And the piece that we're going to save for later, Ryan, is that we're going to talk about the difference between leadership and ownership. And if we can kind of replace that word. So stay tuned, Brand to Fan Show listeners, probably on part two coming up. Um, with the one and only Ryan Berman of Courageous Brands. That was was awesome, Lauren. So good. Okay. Well, thank you so much. How can our fans of the brand fan show, our listeners follow you um, and hear more about what you're working on?
1: Uh, First of all, thank you so much for bringing me on. I love just doing a little back and forth. It's like tennis, just volleying back and forth on thought. Uh, I would start at ryanberman.com, probably the easiest place to go. Look, I, I did spend a a few years interviewing, you know, the, I, I call the brave, the bullish and the brainiacs. I think if this topic is interesting, I put all the findings into a book called Return on Courage. You can check out returnoncourage.com. Pick up the book. If you like the book, if you don't like the book, let me know. Like I'll take any and all feedback on what you think about it. But if you, if you do feel stuck or scared or feel like you're playing it, safe, maybe there's something there in the book. That can help you. And uh, and obviously find me on LinkedIn under Ryan Berman and um, reach out, stay connected. And and Lord, thanks so much for having me on the show.
0: Oh, it was my absolute pleasure. So glad that you could join us and uh, can't wait to have you back again, um, maybe to talk about Landon. Maybe you can bring it on Landon next time and we can talk about the book as we get closer to the next World Cup. I am Lauren Teague and this was Ryan Berman and you are listening to The Brand Fan Show. See you next week. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the Brand to Fan Show. I'm your host, Lauren Teague, marketing speaker, strategist, and the founder of FanWagon. You know, it means a lot to me to spend this time with you. So if you like what you're hearing, I'd love if you could drop me a note at brandtofan at teaguefc.com or message me on Instagram where I'm also teaguefc.com. If these brand of fan conversations resonate with you and you'd like to share this message with your audience, go to laurenteague.com to find out how I guide businesses and associations to stop chasing shiny objects and instead build for lasting affinity. The Brand Fan Show is produced by Teague FC and supported by FanWagon. Audio production is done by Brian Griggs and video editing done by Garrett Teague. Our producers are Kimberly Voorhees, Ashley Ruiz, and Carrie Hilbush. You can catch up on past episodes and guests and access bonus content by visiting brandtofan.show.